Well, it finally happened, folks. It finally happened. They acquired a player with ample time before a podcast recording this time and not right after. And they acquired a second baseman, yes. The Royals signed Adam Frazier, I know. Huge news. I'm going to spend most of the show talking about that and the impact on the Royals. Of course, I'm lying to I'm not going to talk about Adam Frazier for the episode, although I could. I could do that, and that kind of sounds like a threat to, to you listeners, and it is. But no, welcome back, everyone to the Chaos Ball Podcast, a a jolly episode. I'm in a good mood because, like I said when I was fake talking about Adam Frazier, the team, the Seattle Mariners, they made a big trade about an hour before I'm recording this, which is such a nice change of pace uh, to what usually happens to me, and it's generally within, you know, one hour to 20 Four hours after I drop an episode and or record is about when they usually like to do their moves. So the fact that Jerry and Justin Hollander were were kind enough to think about my podcasting schedule like that and and do the move uh, Monday night before I recorded right now um, and gave me enough time to kind of uh, internalize the the trade and everything. I really appreciate that, guys. Um, I, thanks for being loyal listeners. I mean, they've been listeners since day one, so thank you uh, for doing this. And also, thank you for... Uh, we were scared today on Mariner's Twitter because we knew a move was happening. Fellow podcaster, and I'm not going to put myself in the category uh, with with this fella and his, his partner in podcasting, but uh, Ty on Mariner's Twitter, Ty Gonzalez of Locked On Mariners, probably the, the leading Mariner's podcast on the internet. Shout out to them. Tweeted, uh, he, he tweeted earlier today, Ty did, that there was going to be a move um, from his sources. He clearly has a source or sources, probably just one source, inside the organization because he tweeted something similar um, on the day uh, the Mitch Hanniger trade happened. So, I mean, everyone was pretty confident that something was going to happen, but obviously, like, we didn't know to the to the degree uh what it was uh especially when we hear that news me and i'm sure other people it was earlier today so uh, so i saw that tweet then i i had the work day uh and nothing nothing was happening you know i was in and out of meetings looking for a notification of a jeff passing tweet nothing nothing happened because I don't know what Jerry DePoto and his organization are ever going to do. They're not predictable. They, The Giants and subsequent Rays trade on the same day was a classic Jerry move to keep us on our toes. That man just likes to keep us guessing. So when, I, when we saw that news today, I was like, oh, this could be literally anything. And it comes a day after Dylan Cease Mariners rumors commenced. Uh, and kind of took over, divided uh, Mariner's Twitter a little bit. And so I was kind of hoping it wasn't a Dylan Cease trade. Um, but I, 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 in my heart of hearts, I knew it wasn't going to be a Dylan Cease trade. That would have been too obvious. Like, it was it was a rumor yesterday. Uh, and I think it would have been too obvious, frankly. Like, I feel like Jerry would have traded for, like, I don't even know. I can't even pull a random name out of my hat. I just don't know what's going to happen. But... 
enough dilly-dallying. Jerry traded for Jorge Polanco. Jerry made a trade that was a player that was linked to the Mariners all offseason. Even last offseason, he was linked to the Mariners. But it, he was I know he was on an LB trade rumors piece about what makes sense. I think he was in for the Mariners. I think he was included in a... Uh, athletic piece by someone on like potential trade targets for teams that still need bats, specifically the Mariners. I saw Jorge Polanco's name first without the package, as everyone did from the past and tweet. And I was like, this, uh, this is good. This makes too much sense. He traded for a position of need, a bat in the lineup that is also desperately needed. And the Twins, also, this makes so much sense on the Twins side, the Twins needed, like, they basically were going to get something out of Polanco, who is essentially going to be their utility man this season, and they're going to get something out of him for that. And they need, you know, they need innings. They need some pitching. So it made sense to trade with the Mariners. So my immediate reaction was, oh, this is interesting. This makes a lot of sense. Jerry, what's going on, bud? Everything okay at home? It's like the Mitch Garver signing, if you recall. I talked a little bit about Mitch Garver. I didn't have much else to say about that signing. My analysis was it was good. It's a good signing. He's a good baseball player. Jorge Blanco, similar analysis, but the, the haul was pretty substantial in terms of volume. Jorge Blanco is a good baseball player. I'll tell you that right now. And and like I prefaced in the Mitch Garver and Luke Rayleigh and us and uh, like Mitch Hanniger, whatever. Like all the other additions this offseason – the player profiles, what to expect from them, projections. That's all going in the preview episode down the line in the month of March for the Seattle Mariners preview. But you can kind of look at Jorge Polanco's consistency in his career and see what type of hitter he is. He's just a professional big league hitter. Uh, This makes this trade, again, like I said, makes so much sense. He's a switch hitter too. Switch hitters are awesome. Uh, He's just... He's a proven major leaguer who will be the starting second baseman. That is a good thing. Um, His strikeout numbers have been rising in recent years, but they still are right around league average. Um, The K numbers where it started with, like let's say four or five years ago, was way below league average. But with the rising K rate also, rising, rising walk rate also in recent years, which is sat above league average the past two seasons and he just has a solid approach to the plate good bat to ball skills um not like a tremendous amount of power um but i would say i'd say powerful for a second baseman i guess um i mean he doesn't particularly hit the ball that hard uh if you look at like his exit velocities and whatnot but he's good at getting on base and he hits the ball uh in the right spot on the bat he gets a lot of barrels in his bat so he's hitting when he's hitting the ball he's he's making solid contact with it he might not be the strongest fella um but like 14 home runs last year in half a season of plate appearances just about 16 the prior year and like 100 more plate appearances and then 2021 he had 33 dingers in uh, in a full season, in a full season, and even in that season, he still wasn't hitting the ball like super super hard. Honest, honestly, uh, he was just absolutely like 
connecting with it, good launch angle, enough contact to, to hit it out. Long story short, he's a good hitter. He's a solid hitter. And defense, defensive-wise at second base, it's nothing to write home about. I don't think he grades out super well, but second base is not a position I'm looking for to be like, oh, he's a really good defender. Um, that's great if they're a really good defender at second base. If they're just a below-average defender at second base, that is fine with me if you can hit the ball. And he can hit the ball, so this helps. Uh, this is what I've been talking about for what I feel like months now since they've had Rojas and Urias basically at second base, third base on the depth chart. Acquiring one or both of those positions to push those guys into a utility role is perfect. I think this does exactly that. Polanco is a starting second baseman, and then Rojas, Urias, whoever they feel like starting at third base, they can, and the other one will be a utility guy. Uh, who will still probably see plenty of reps at second base, but uh, I think it's it's good in terms of like lineup construction uh, to to push one of those guys, at least one of those guys, into a full time utility man role, or both of them. They can they can play third and they can play third base together, you know, in, in a little utility man platoon over there if they want to. Uh, no, it just makes sense. And then contract wise, also makes sense. He is on a like I think he's on like 10 million this year, 12 million next year is a club option, which I see no reason why they shouldn't pick up that club option and unless like a catastrophic injury happens, which knock on wood that does not happen. But that is just essentially you signed up for two years, you traded for two years of Jorge Polanco. Which is fine. Fine by me. Uh, projections are good for next year, but I'm not going to get super into that. But the hall. The hall is so interesting. And I feel like as I record this, I feel like I'm going to have different opinions uh, come next week. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. We'll see. I, I usually have way more time to sit with transactions than this. It's a little bizarre. But the hall was interesting. The news came out. Again, saw Jorge Blanco. It took about five to ten minutes to get the full haul, the full return to the twins. Knee-jerk reaction was like, okay, I don't think like just Hancock is going to get this done. I'm assuming it's just Wu or Miller, not both, for Jorge Polanco or something like that. Um, it was not. It was not. It was a very Mariners move um, because adding $10 million of salary would, would bankrupt them in, in 2024. They can't possibly do that. So the return in totality was Justin Topa and Anthony Desclafani for the purposes of this trade. He is the balancing act of salary. He makes, I think, like half a million less than uh, than Polanco, but the Mariners are sending that difference to just fully even out the trade in terms of salaries. And then two minor leaguers, Darren Bowen and Gabriel Gonzalez, a new member of the MLB Pipeline Top 100, I think the four-ranked, the number four-ranked prospect in baseball prospectuses, uh, Mariners list, top 10. A good prospect, really had a breakout last year. Uh, I really liked him, just like a super aggressive presence, lots of power, speed, just like really looked like a really solid hitter in the... Uh, for the Aqua Sox, I think for most of the year, uh, and include that was a little surprising that they included him. I was surprised it was four players. 
like four players was shocking to trade four players for Jorge Planco, to be quite honest with you. Uh, Justin Tope was the first name I saw, and that was shocking to me. Uh, it, it, it makes sense for the Twins. They they need innings. And then Anthony Descalfani, I, I guess, is literally just a salary balance here because the Mariners... Like, I feel like the Mariners could have gotten this done with Emerson Hancock and Justin Topa. Just straight up for Jorge Polanco. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe the Twins really wanted, like, just Descalfani added in there. I'm sure they wanted Wu or Miller. Let's get that straight. I'm sure they wanted Wu, Miller, or even Hancock with his injury. Maybe not with his injury history, but I'm sure they wanted Wu or Miller first. And I imagine the Mariners made them untouchable enough in this trade to not include them. And so I guess it's somewhat rational to be like, okay, give us Anthony Descalfani. He's a veteran. He will throw innings. Like at, at the very least, the Twins need innings. But I think the Twins and the Mariners are are not super serious franchises, so I can't 100% say what their complete motives of the Descalfani inclusion is here. But either way, I feel like once Anthony Descalfani was in this trade, they had to give up a top prospect of sorts. And I don't think it was going to be Cole Young, Cole Emerson, or Harry Ford. Uh, not for Jorge Polanco. Maybe just a straight swap of one of those guys for Jorge Blanco would have done it. But Gabriel Gonzalez makes sense. Fringe top 101 guy. Uh, I, I don't know. I just feel like you like him or you don't like him. He's not a consensus top 100. It's not a player I'd love to give up for, you know, Jorge Blanco as much as I think he's a good player. But I, I generally think this trade is good. Uh, and then Darren Bowen... I, he's the fourth name in this trade that not, not many people will know. He had a really good season in Modesto last year. He's been in the org for, I think, three years now. Uh, really solid year last year. Uh, and I think, honestly, the Twins are pretty good with pitching. Uh, I would have trusted the Mariners to potentially develop this guy into a fine young pitcher. Um, I think he's still like 22. I, I think he's got good stuff. I saw Joe Doyle tweet that he was kind of an underrated gem when the Mariners picked him. So uh, there's that. I think he's just an arm that the Twins can hope they can develop into a decent pitcher. Uh, to, I'm, and Topa, Topa leaving is tough. Topa was so good last year. For a guy like they acquired and no one really, really knew what he was. He was so good. He was integral to that bullpen. I talked just last week about how him and Matt Brash pitched together almost like just a full season of a modern starting pitcher last year. And we're like the rate stats were really good to go along with it. Uh, he was really good last year. Tough we didn't get to see him pitch in the playoffs. Obviously, I think he would have been pivotal to any sort of playoff run that uh, the Mariners would have had last year. But I think this speaks to like the Mariners kind of picking up from the trash heap. Not that he's Justin Topa's trash, but just picking up from the discount bin flip and turning in a, a guy into a very good bullpen arm and then flipping him for a position of need. Like in a vacuum, that's a really good thing. Um, with the three other guys, maybe it's not as good of a thing, but I think it's also 
worth noting that he's he's not unreplaceable, I don't think, in that bullpen. I, I think you still have your two best guys and Brash and Munoz out there. And then I think, again, there's clearly an organizational strength that they can develop bullpen arms. And I think this only opens the door for those two wild cards I talked about last week on last week's episode. Uh, Carlos Vargas from the D-backs trade and Prelander Barroa. I think it almost clears the way for Prelander Barroa uh, at least to have... Mm, I wouldn't say 100% to be on the opening day roster. But it's certainly for both of those guys, that's two less big league pitching spots for them to fill the gaps. Uh, because now I think it's... Now I think your, your long man in the bullpen, your swing man, would be... Austin Voth, I guess. Uh, Austin Voth and Hancock. Or they could do the six-man rotation with Hancock as a six-man and Austin Voth as a six-man and one of them in the bullpen. I don't know. They have a lot of options, but departing two major league pitchers leaves uh, two spots. Definitely lessens the starter depth a little bit, uh, but I th- I feel like I'm leaning Perlander Baroa here to – pick up some of the workload from Topa. I, I talked about it last week. I feel like he's going to have a really good year. I just I just feel it. Uh, he looked pretty good when in the very, very limited amount of time we saw him in the big leagues last year. He was really good in double-A. Stuff's nasty. I trust the Mariners to develop that command more. I just I feel like it's going to be a year for Perlander Broa. And maybe this trade speaks to that. I think it. I think it speaks more to just like, hey, Topo was really good, but I mean, why? Why can't we do that again? You know, like they traded. I think Joseph Hernandez for Justin Topo, who's a minor league pitcher coming off a really good season for for Everett, but then they turned Topa into a seventy inning, like three. What do you have? Like a. 2.8 ERA or something over the year this year in the bullpen like a workhorse who was also so good with such a nasty sinker out of nowhere why can't they do it again and so it's a vote of confidence maybe in what they currently have organizationally and like Perlinder Broa you know I'm just thinking about Perlinder Broa's stuff and losing Desclafani I feel like is I'm not like I don't love Anthony Desclafani, but pitching depth in in the year of our Lord 2024 is like gold. I mean, we saw what pitchers were going for last year. We've seen what pitchers are going for this year. Every team needs pitching depth. If you think you don't need pitching depth, you have been caught in a trap. You need pitching depth. Guys will go down, and I and they have now. I guess seven starters that could all be at the major league level at the same time. I still don't really know what they're going to do with Hancock, but Austin votes on a major league deal and they're going to stretch him out in spring training as a starter. So that's at least, I guess, six guys at the major league level to start the year, at least without Hancock as starting pitchers have. And then uh, I think uh, Darren McCocken is still in triple a. So I'm going to count that as eight in AAA and majors starting starting pitchers. And I think to start the year, that's fine. But, I mean, pitching, pitchers can get hurt in a freaking instant. All of a sudden you look up and 
three of your starting pitchers on the IL. What do you do? But I'm okay with parting with Desclafani. I was talking myself into him him being a really good swingman, uh, but alas, he will now be eating innings at the back of Minnesota's rotation. Oh, and and a key a key piece from this trade I almost forgot about. Hancock, Wu, and Miller are still on the team. I think that's a win from a Mariners' perspective is not giving up any of those three guys, particularly Wu and Miller, in this trade. Uh, I do think that is a W. Which, I mean, it doesn't mean they won't be traded still this offseason. One of those guys, two of those guys could be traded. But I feel like if if you told me a couple weeks ago the Mariners traded for Jorge Blanco, I would have just been like, oh, okay, one of Wu or Bryce Miller is gone. So the fact that they held on to... Their whole one through five in the rotation for this is I'm considering that a win for right now. So, but that that's the trade. That is the trade. I'm still kind of sitting with it, but it's a really good haul for the Twins. I I will say I think this is a win for both sides. Uh, I think it fills needs for both teams, like I talked about. I think it's a really good haul for the Twins. I mean, you get. You don't take on any salary, and I don't know if they're trying to dump salary, but it's not like they also don't need to do that. You don't take on any more salary, and you get a reliever who's coming off a career year and innings at the back of your rotation. You lost Kenta Maeda and Sonny Gray to free agency this year, so they, like, at the very least, need innings, and innings are valuable, and Descalfani can absolutely provide that for you. And then you get a Darren Bowen. A interesting, at least, minor league starting pitcher from an organization that has a good track record with minor league starting pitchers. And then you get Gabriel Gonzalez, a solid outfield prospect who just cracked MLB Pipeline's top 100. I think, like, number 80. Funny enough, I was going to talk about that this episode, but he is no longer a Mariner, so won't be talking about him specifically. But no, it's a really good, I think it's a really good get for the twins, uh, him and just the rest of the package for Jorge Blanco, who again would have been probably their utility man this year with the prospect middle and field guys they got coming up. So I think really good haul for them. And I think this just is a good get for the Mariners. It's a lot to give up for one player, particularly, excuse me, a second baseman, particularly for like a second baseman. Uh, but I think the, the thing to take away from this right now is it makes the team better right now and fills a need, a need for offense. Uh, and another, at least, like major league adult bat in that lineup. And I think that really helps make the team better right now. And I think that's what we can take away from this. I'm also not a prospect clutcher, and I'm okay with giving up Gabriel Gonzalez to fill a need on the team right now. It's just, I feel like Anthony Descalfani had to be attached with a prospect and they didn't have to give up Descalfani. And if maybe the, tw- again, maybe the twins really asked for him, but I, I don't know about that. I f- would find that a little hard to believe. I feel like they would have asked for, I don't know. I don't even know. I don't know. Maybe the, maybe the twins just love Anthony Descalfani and I'm reading into this incorrectly, but it would, it would track if the Mariners wanted to even out the salary of this trade, despite it only being $10 million this year and 12 next year, that's like not really not very much money. They can afford it. 
it would track if they had to even out the salaries and we're like, okay, we will throw a prospect your way to do that. Uh, along with Descalfani, who's going down as Mariners as a Mariners legend, like Drew Smiley, never thrown a pitch for the Seattle Mariners. But I think this is a general win-win for both teams. That's my that's my analysis on this trade, and that's a fresh analysis. Sat with it for about an hour while I ate dinner. But again, I'd like to emphasize, not an optimal way to build a baseball team. Like, is this is this the best way to build a team? No. It's still a resounding no for me. Trading four players for two years of an above-average hitting second baseman, which is fine, is not the best possible way to do things. Uh, and a lot of things have led them to do this. It's not just this trade singularly that I'm looking at. A lot of things have led them to, to give up these four players for a second baseman they desperately need. You know, and they could have paid for one or something. I, you know, you know, like it's kind of how I, if I had a podcast the entire Depoto tenure, I feel like I'd talk about how you know he's building a team. I think he has his strengths as a as a president of baseball operations. I think he has his weaknesses, and I just think this is not the optimal way to build a baseball team. And maybe he's working very well with the constraints that he's been given. You know. I think ownership is always more to blame than front offices, but this is just it's not it's not the most serious way to build a baseball team. Like this is it reminds me of uh, I playing out of the park baseball which is the best baseball simulator out there. Still not nothing like real life. I I don't think I could go manage a team based on my out of the park baseball experience, but like you get a budget in that game, and you can't really ask your owner for more. So, I managed the Pirates for a little while, and one of my in one of my Sims, and that owner, much like in real life, is uh, has the penny pinching uh, like descriptor. So the budget's not huge, and so I think in my first two seasons, I must have made like twenty five trades, just moving shit around, trying to trying to have shit stick trading for a bunch of quad a guys hoping that they can develop into good players trying to spend a lot of money in player development rather than free agents sound familiar like it's it's just frustrating to see a team built like this when there are just better ways to do it but again today i'm gonna focus on the most important thing and that i think the team got better right now and I think the lineup is looking fine. I can talk myself into this lineup now. It's it's palatable, you know? Like J.P. Crawford, Julio Rodriguez, Jorge Polanco, Mitch Garver, Cal Raleigh. That's a very fine one through five. And then Ty France, Luke Rayley, Mitch Hanniger, Josh Rojas. Not terrible. Uh, big question marks about Mitch Hanniger and Josh Rojas and like still tepid on if Luke Rayleigh can repeat last year. He's still young. Can he build on last year? That'd be awesome. I got question marks, but I think he's a pretty solid seven hole or six hole hitter, honestly. Uh, and I think a lot of my, my better thoughts on this lineup are hinging on I am a Ty France 2024 bounce back season believer. I've been open about it. 
I think that is swaying me a little bit. But I can talk myself into this lineup at least being better than last year's lineup. The bar is so low. Like, look what look what John Stanton and that that baseball team has made me do. The bar is so low. Like, this lineup could be so much better in so many different ways. But I, I they got better today. Um, I like like Luis Urias as a full time utility infielder. I feel like I'm still okay with Dylan Moore as like a full on utility, like can play the infield and the outfield. I am fine with Sebi Saval as a backup defensively. I like him. I mean, after after that, the depth is real bad. I. Like, if you have an injury to J.P. Crawford or, or Julio, knock on wood. I mean, you could say that about most teams, not like the Dodgers or the Braves, I guess. But, like, most teams, if their best offensive player goes down for a long period of time, they're going to get substantially worse. I, I That's not unique to the Mariners. I think what this does, interestingly, I think this just pushes Sam Haggerty fully out of the 26-man. Of the 20, I feel like he's going to start the year in AAA, uh, but I feel like he'll be up and down a fair amount. Same with Dylan Moore. Where I really think this team could still improve, like I hope I hope they're not done. I think the one thing at the very least, I, they could have another bullpen arm for sure, but I feel like I'm cooling on the bullpen right now. I think they could definitely add another arm, but I'm just willing to blindly believe they'll just create nothing out of or something out of nothing again in that bullpen. And maybe my thoughts could change come come March on that, but I'm more concerned about the outfield still and and Mitch Haniger as a starting right fielder with a like Taylor Trammell, Dominic Canzone spice in there in the corners with Luke Rayleigh and left. I'm fine with the guy in center. He's he's pretty good. I think they need another outfielder. <laughs> Cause I just I don't I don't want Mitch Haniger or Dominic Canzone starting baseball games very much. I'll I'll be honest. I'd rather have a better player than both of them to start baseball games. Particularly to not see Taylor Trammell too often in the majors. I think I'm just kind of done with trying to convince myself that he'll he'll put it together. Uh, Mitch Haniger, I really just don't know what to think about. Uh, he's so injury prone that even if he is a good hitter again, it's almost a foregone conclusion he'll be hurt at some point during the year. And I think they also just need someone who can play center. I think they need. I think Rayleigh can potentially do it as a backup center fielder which again would necessitate another good, better outfielder to put in his place in left field. But I think they need an outfielder who can play all three positions. I think they need, I don't even know. I don't even know what name comes to mind. I think they just need an outfielder that can play all three positions well. Maybe not even be a good hitter. If they're not going to try to fill right field with a better hitter than Mitch Haniger, <clears throat> Soler, sign Jorge Soler, play him in right field. Trade for Mike Trout, play him in right field. I don't know. There's some options out there. But if they're not going to do that in terms of hitting, I think they at least need a fourth outfielder that can play all three positions and be a solid defender. 
I'm operating under the assumption that Julio is going to play 162, but I feel like that's just not true, and you always need a backup plan. I just my my conclusion now is they they did what I asked with third base and second base. They at least got one of those positions a full time player to make Luis Urias or Josh Rojas a full time utility guy. And now I think they need to push Mitch Haniger to the bench and and get a better player to play right field. I think that's the next step here. And that, if they do that, then I'm like really big chilling on the off season. I feel like that would be a successful off season given the circumstances that they've set upon themselves to build a team uh, financially wise. So that's where I'm at with the team. I'm feeling fine, feeling fine about it. I'm really interested to see the projections for all these guys, uh, particularly the bullpen. Now I'm interested to see what the projection systems like or dislike in the bullpen. Now with Topa uh, departing, but interesting, interesting day, a little shake up. Jorge Polanco, welcome. Switch hitters again. I love switch hitters. So getting a switch hitter on the team, I'm all for. And, uh, yeah, good hitter. Confirmed good hitter. I think him and Mitch Garver are two good baseball players. I think they are confirmed good baseball players. So adding two of those to the team in the offseason, that helps. That definitely helps. So that that's where I'm at. Uh, and I'm done. I'm done talking about this trade. I'm done talking about the big league Mariners. I did at least want to talk about top prospect lists that came out, and then I'm going to end with some Hall of Fame discussion, with some Hall of Fame talk. Uh, We saw the results. I had a ballot. I released a ballot this year. Ryan Thibodeau didn't track it, but I released it. And I don't know. I want to talk about next year's ballot a little bit, but I will talk about that to end the show. Right now, briefly, I will go over uh, top prospect lists came out. And Baseball Prospectus, Baseball America, and MLB Pipeline all have their lists. I believe Prospectus is 101, guys, but it's usually a top 100 or top 101, whatever. And the Mariners featured a few times. Some Mariners prospects, as expected, they had three consensus top 100 guys across all three of these lists. Cole Young, Colt Emerson, and Harry Ford. In uh, in the baseball prospectus list, Cole Young was 61, Colt Emerson was 50, and Harry Ford was 34. That is an aggressive ranking for Cole Emerson, but I feel like he really impressed in his pro debut last year. Uh, so deservedly so. He's a consensus top 100 guy, and uh, I think uh, baseball prospectus was aggressive with him. But then you go to Baseball America, and Lazaro Montez is on there at number 100, I was so hyped to see him on a, on a prospect list because I knew he was going to be a fringe top guy and to see him officially on a list at number 100 whatever, that's fine. I'm okay with that. Love that for him. Uh, and then Colt Emerson here is at 52. Harry Ford at 51 and Cole Young at 44. So there's the general consensus from Baseball America and Baseball Prospectus. Cole Young a little bit the lowest ranked guy on baseball prospectus is top 100 list for the Mariners and the highest ranked guy in baseball America. I would probably skew more Cole Young being the best prospect in the system right now. Uh, but Cole Emerson at 50 and 52 on those respective lists. That's huge to see. And then you go to MLB pipeline. Cole Emerson's 87 on here, 87 for Cole Emerson, which feels really low, but I don't know. Maybe they weren't buying the electric pro debut of his. I don't, I don't really know why he's ranked so low with them, but 
I don't know what he did to the pipeline. Did he insult Jonathan Mayo at some point? I don't know. But he was the lowest-ranked guy on this list. And Gabriel Gonzalez, number 79. Aggressive. Aggressive. Another guy with Lazaro I thought was a fringe guy. And he shows up at 79 on MLB Pipeline's list. And I feel like MLB Pipeline is... The like if you're if you're referencing a top 100 list, I feel like most people go to MLB Pipeline for that. It is MLB branded after all, and they have the best SEO for a top 100 out of any of the competitors. But I, that's just such an aggressive ranking for Gabriel Gonzalez. But maybe that was part of the rationale with the Twins trade. It's a shiny new top 100 prospect to throw in this trade. Twins, how do you like that? Maybe that's how it went down. And then Harry Ford here at 38 and Cole Young at 37 are two bestest boys, Harry Young and Cole. Harry Young. Oh, there you go. Harry Young and Cole Ford up top there. Uh, I think this this was expected. This is nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, it's, it's super interesting looking at this list compared to like four years ago. Complete flip from pitchers to position players now. But that is the current state of the org. I think this team, and I talked about it a little bit last year uh, when I think like midseason prospect rankings came out, the Mariners weren't ranking too high. I feel like they have, if there was a top 100 to 200, I think the Mariners would feature a lot in that list. I feel like they have a lot of these, like Gabriel Gonzalez and Lazaro Montez who showed up late on, on these lists. I feel like they have a lot of these fringe guys. And maybe it's just because I'm closer and follow these prospects more closely than a lot of people. But I think that they have a solid farm right now. Uh, I mean, you know, three consensus top and under guys is good. But I feel like like Jonathan Class A is a good prospect. Like Tyler Locklear, I feel like, is, is a fringe top 100 guy at this point. I really like Tyler Locklear. Um, Perlander Baroa, another another one where he could he's probably a fringe a fringe top 100 guy. Maybe he's less so because he's a a relief pitcher essentially. I don't I don't know. I think there's plenty of quality in the in this farm. But uh, that was that was good to see all the prospects looks come out. The expected guys are on there. It was a quite a shock. Cole Emerson so low on Pipeline's list and Gabriel Gonzalez so high, but. Now we don't have to worry about Gabriel Gonzalez. So uh, uh, the only outlier of these lists is Lazaro, who made Baseball America's list at number 100. That hypes me up, man. I, I love, I'm so looking forward to what Lazaro can do this year in the minors. Um, and yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited about it. Now I'm going to use these last 10-ish, 10-ish minutes. We'll see if I go off on a rant. Talk about the Hall of Fame. I, ah, man, I really do try to avoid Hall of Fame talk in terms of the the online discourse throughout the whole election season because I try not to let ballots make me mad because everyone, you know, has a right to their opinion and everything. But so many people's opinions about this are just, are just wrong. Uh, <laughs> the Hall of Fame is so flawed in so many ways. One of the, the main system of getting in is inherently flawed, but also what makes it special, I guess, because it's as much a, did you, do you like this guy as do you think he was a really good baseball player deserving of being in the hall of fame? 
you know, this year, Adrian Beltre, first ballot Hall of Famer, deservedly so. Love Adrian Beltre. Hell yeah. You know, 95.1%. Like, why not 100? I feel like he's deserving. But then you consider if you're a voter and you are voting for, let's say, nine guys. And the 10th is like, oh, do I give my vote to Billy Wagner, who's really close to 75% and might need that extra vote, which he, he did, or Adrian Beltre, who's going to get in regardless of my vote? I'll vote for Billy Wagner and say Adrian Beltre. I totally see that rationale. However, I don't think that's how they all thought of whoever left Adrian Beltre off. But the the whole process is dumb. The, the way people think about like what the hall of fame should be like that's part of the the flaw in the system is there's not a defined like you know there's not a defined system of this guy's a hall of famer and obviously that's a huge part of it but uh the biggest thing the biggest gripe that i have with the entire voting process and the bbwa is that there's members of the bbwa who vote for this who don't even really write about write about baseball anymore and I think you should be actively participating in baseball journalism or media to vote in this thing every year. I think that, like, once you're in it, if you, like, start covering the NFL, maybe give you five years and then, sorry, you're out. Someone who's covering baseball should vote. I don't care about your expertise anymore. But whatever. Adrian Beltre, Todd Helton, and Joe Maurer. The three electees this year, I was super surprised at Joe Maurer getting in his first ballot, but he was 1.1 over the 75 and got in. I think he, this is huge news for catchers all over the world. I think this is huge news for Buster Posey and Yadier Molina, the two next big catchers on, on the list to likely be Hall of Famers, I would say. I was just really surprised at, at Joe Maurer um, being the first. I mean, his accolades speak for themselves, but um catchers are weird they just have less stats to look at like in terms of like career war and career hits the the totals because they just play less games that's the nature of the position they play less games and so you have to inherently handle their hall of fame voting differently it's like a relief pitcher versus other pitchers you can't look at the body of work against other hall of famers if they weren't relief pitchers you know same with catchers, uh, and I think this bodes well. He got it on his first ballot, and I think, again, part of this is because of the narrative and the people like the guy. The narrative of Joe Maurer is crazy. It's like a, literally like a video game or like you, you grow up dreaming about. He is a kid from Minnesota who grows up and becomes the number one pick in the MLB draft, and lo and behold, the number one pick is the hometown Minnesota Twins. That in and of itself is crazy. And then it's even crazier for him to come up with the Twins, win an MVP, be their franchise like face, essentially, at least for the 21st century, and then make the Hall of Fame in a Twins uniform, with that being the only team that he ever played for. That is astounding. Like, again, that is insane. I think that helped his Hall of Fame case. Like, Adrian Beltre got 95%. If Adrian Beltre wasn't as silly and fun on the field, I feel like he would have gotten 90% or something. People love Adrian Beltre. You can't say a bad thing about Adrian Beltre. And then Todd Helton getting in finally in his sixth year. uh, Deservedly so. Uh, Very happy for Todd Helton. 
great hitter. The only thing people held against him is like he played in Coors, but that's why like plus based like league average stats exist now. So we can at least look at it like that. But also there's a lot of baseball players who play in Coors and there's not a lot of guys who put up the numbers that Todd Helton did in Coors. And also he also played half the games out of Coors. That would, if he was an awful hitter outside of Coors, that would have really affected his, his overall numbers. Todd Helton is just like unfortunate that he his peak was like 2000, 2004, which there is another another baseball player whose who's peak landed at that time in the same division, in the, in the National League in the same division as Todd Helton. Barry Bonds. It just so happened that like all the best years of Todd Helton coincided with all the best years of Bonds, and so he never got higher in like MVP and probably if Bonds didn't exist, probably would be a little bit more beloved and, and recognized as one of the best hitters of his generation. It's just really funny to to look at his page and be like, oh, 2000, 2004, who else was cooking in the National League at that point? Who might have overshadowed Todd Helton? Uh, I can think of one guy. Uh, but those were the three guys. Uh, good for them. Billy Wagner barely misses out. 73.8%. His last year is next year. I think he's a Hall of Famer. I really hope he gets that vote or two bump next year to make it in. Gary Sheffield, 64%. Wasn't really that close. He dropped off the ballot. Andrew Jones, 61 or Carlos Beltran. A-Rod is a perfect example of what I'm talking about here because he is a steroid guy, and a lot of people who vote for the Hall of Fame just will not vote for steroid guys. And while I disagree with that, I at least see the reason in principle why you don't do that. However, listen, I'm, I could talk about this for a while. We vote the commissioner and the managers from that era into the Hall of Fame. Why should they get in the Hall of Fame for managing and presiding over to the steroid era? They were just as guilty as the players. So based on that, let the steroid guys in. If we're going to have Bud Selig and like all the greatest managers from that era in the Hall of Fame, again, they're just as complicit. They weren't doing the drugs. They were basically doing everything but taking the needle and sticking it in all of their players. Like they were, they were doing, they knew what was going on. They knew exactly what was going on, but whatever. If you don't vote for the Sarah guys, so be it. So a rod, he's not going to, he's probably not going to make the hall of fame for the steroid thing is part of it. He is in his, what is this? This is his third year. He's at 34.8%. I'm so intrigued to see what he gets by his 10th year because Bonds and Clemens got to like the mid-60s. I think like 68%. Uh, 2022 is their last year. They didn't make it. And those are like the, the poster children of the of the steroid era. Those are the, your best pitcher and your best... Uh, and your best, uh, your best steroid pitcher, your best steroid hitter of that era. Uh, I think they were doomed from the start to get in just because of that reason alone. I think they should both be Hall of Famers, two of the greatest players of all time. But... A-Rod also, I'm intrigued to see if he even gets to that level because I think part of the reason that people don't vote for A-Rod is nobody likes the guy. <laughs> nobody likes A-Rod. I think that is so much part of Hall of Fame voting, which is why it makes it flawed. A-Rod is like just legitimately no one likes him, and I feel like that is going to 
prevent him from making the Hall of Fame despite being one of the greatest players of all time. Go look at his baseball reference page if you have not. It's astounding, the numbers he put up. But I digress. The The character thing is, like, because no one likes A-Rod. It's just funny to me. Uh, but, like, if I had a vote when Kurt Schilling was on the ballot, known garbage human being, I don't know if I would have voted for Kurt Schilling uh, just on the grounds of him being a trash person. Despite, I think he's deserving for what he did on the field. He's, I don't want to see him happy, you know? I just, maybe I wouldn't have voted for him. I don't know. Hall of Fame is flawed. This is why I don't talk about it. It's because people have really strong takes. Steroids get brought up. People get very upset when you support a steroid guy. Actually, oh, they're cheating. I don't care. Uh, but my ballot, I'll read you my ballot before I, I set you off today. My Hall of Fame ballot, from left to right on the uh, the ballots that are provided to you, I voted for 10 guys. I'm I'm a hall of a lot kind of guy. I voted for Carlos Beltran, Adrian Beltre, Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, Joe Maurer, Andy Pettit, A-Rod, Gary Sheffield, Chase Utley, and Billy Wagner. Those are my Hall of Famers this year. Uh, thank you to the BBWA finally recognizing me as a legitimate baseball media member so I could vote for the Hall of Fame. I really appreciate it. But I'll end the show next season, next year, Ichiro Suzuki is on the ballot. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I've already seen people pulling up the baseball reference comparison pages to discount what baseball player, kind of baseball player Ichiro was. I won't stand for it. I will not stand for Ichiro Suzuki slander in the lead up to his Hall of Fame election. All right. I will not stand for it. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't want to hear anything else. I don't want you pointing to his career WRC+. plus. Go touch grass, all right? I'm a stat guy, but have, did you watch Ichiro play baseball and you're going to diminish him to his career WRC+, plus, you animals, all right? Don't do that. He's going to get in on the first ballot, and his speech is going to be phenomenal. The other guy on this, on this ballot next year, the other interesting one, I think, really is CeCe Sabathia. But then also, Felix Hernandez is on the ballot next year. My all-time favorite baseball player, Felix Hernandez. Ichiro is probably maybe number two. Ichiro, if I was a little older, would probably be my number one. Ichiro is my first memory of watching baseball. Like, uh, my first recollection of baseball and the Seattle Mariners is Ichiro. So that has a big, a big, uh, big hold on my heart. But my favorite player of all time is Felix Hernandez, and I'm gonna have to do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to do what I can propaganda wise to try to get him in the Hall of Fame because I think his case is super interesting. I can already see the arguments against it, and they're somewhat valid. But I think the most important thing for him next year is to not get off the ballot, and I'm like cautiously optimistic he's going to get more than five percent next year i think it was huge that helton and mauer both got elected this year because next year the closest guys was sheffield dropping off or like andrew jones and um billy wagner otherwise you have like ichiro as a first ballot cc is going to get a lot of votes i think felix it's a good ballot for felix to get more votes than 
Like if Felix was on the ballot four years ago, I think he falls off first year. But next year, I think he has a, a good chance to get more votes than maybe he would have in a past year. I think he's a Hall of Famer, genuinely. I I think his five to seven year peak is almost as good as you're gonna get. He was an absolute workhorse in a era of dying workhorse pitchers. He was an innings eater with the numbers of an ace. And that is unheard of in this day and age of baseball. That was slowly fading out as he pitched in his career. And I think what's gonna what's gonna really, really get him in terms of lack of votes is the longevity. He didn't really go much into his 30s. And I think I think part of that is you have to look at how many fucking innings he threw in his peak. He was throwing like 240 innings a year for five years straight and with like a 2-8 ERA. Like the man was a fucking animal. He was an absolute animal. And I think that he played a huge part into why he wasn't good and really didn't pitch at all into his 30s. Uh, but I think it's going to be an Andrew Jones type argument where Andrew Jones came up and he was 19, hit the ground running, had a really, really good 10 years. And then fell off in his 30s. And Ichiro, not Ichiro. Felix, similar. Felix came up when he was 19, was electric for 10 years, and then didn't really do much into his 30s. What I do think Andrew Jones has over Felix is you can confidently say Andrew Jones is one of the greatest center fielders of all time defensively. Felix, I think you can say, is one of the greatest pitchers of his era. But I don't think he has one of those like all time. What he does have is the perfect game. I think the perfect game kind of... That'll add to the narrative. Having a perfect game will help him. But then the other thing I think for Andrew Jones that he has over Felix, and it's hard to compare a hitter to a pitcher, but whatever, is Andrew Jones was on in the playoffs. Not that you should, you know. Andrew Jones was constantly, I think if I'm thinking about it correctly, and he played on the Braves until like 2004 or five. I think he made the playoffs every year. Those Braves teams were so good. And he contributed to the Braves' postseason runs. I don't think they ever won a World Series because they lost twice to the Yankees. But he contributed in the playoffs. He was on the East Coast, on the Atlanta Braves, who was really good. Felix was all the way in the corner of the country in the Northwest on a team that was really bad most of the time. I think that's genuinely going to hurt him because I feel like less people watched him pitch all the time. But I know what I saw, and that's a Hall of Fame pitcher, Felix Hernandez. And that is the Chaos Ball Podcast, everyone. Thank you for listening this far. That was a lot of stuff to talk about in this episode. Thank you, Jerry Depoto, for giving me some, some stuff to talk about in the Jorge Polanco trade right before the show. What a treat. Thank you so much. Thank you to all for listening. If you're still listening this far, appreciate it. If you're listening this far, that must mean you kind of like me. And if you haven't rated the show, please do leave a review, recommend to your friends, whatever. Uh, whatever whatever works for you. But, of course, as always, have a good rest of your week. And I will leave you with a hearty Go Mariners. <laughs>